I want to begin today with a little bit of a quiz. I want you to think military for 500 points. I want to see what you might remember concerning ranks. So here we go. Three questions. Okay, let's see how we do. Question number one, which of the arm, which arm of the military has more listed ranks within it? Would it be A, the Army, or B, the Air Force, which has more listed ranks within it? Question two, in the Navy, which rank is greater? A, a Rear Admiral, or B, a Lieutenant? Question three, in the Air Force, which rank is greater? A, a General, or B, a Major General? So, knowing that it probably has been a little bit of time since you last studied the topic of ranks within the armed forces, let's, let's see how you did. Start with question number one, which arm of the military has the most listed ranks within it? Well, the answer would be the Army, but not by much. The Army has 26 listed ranks, the Air Force has 22. Question two in the Navy, which rank is greater, Rear Admiral or Lieutenant? Which did you say? Um, well, the answer is a Rear Admiral is a greater rank than a Lieutenant. Question three, in the Air Force, which rank is greater, a General or Major General? And the answer, of course, is a General. A General is a greater rank than a Major General. It doesn't sound like it should be, but it is. So, how did you end up? Well, Pastor Luke, why, why are we doing this quiz on ranks? Today, I, I want to pick up where we left off last week in our study of chapter 10 of Daniel's narrative. If you were not with us, our topic is spiritual warfare. And when I say that, it's my hope that we hear a, a couple of things. First, I hope that we hear that we, both as individuals and churches, are, whether we want to be or not, engaged in warfare, warfare for the souls of human beings. We're talking about eternity. Regarding this last week, it was my intention to ask a question. The question was, are we living in a way that reflects this truth, that we're in war? So my observation is that there, there's a lot of churches in our country today, as well as a lot of individuals who are spiritually busy. But when you closely examine what they're busy with, it's not warfare. It's easy, so easy in our lives and in the church today to become busy with Bible studies and fellowship and programs, all of which are good. None, none of them are bad. None of them are wrong. But many of which, in the end, have little to do with saving souls that are in danger. What Daniel chapter 10 does for us is remind us that it is critical that when we wake up each day, we wake up with the recognition that we are in a battle. Secondly, I hope we hear this. I hope that we heard last week the reality that in the battle for souls, our enemy is organized. Our enemy does not act randomly in an unorganized way. And you know what? Sometimes I think that we have that impression. We have the impression that the fallen one kind of shows up from time to time in our lives, maybe when we're in a point of weakness, and then he does his work and tries to, to tempt us or move us away from God. No, no. When you read Daniel 10, one of the things that is made clear is the nature of our enemy as highly organized, 
militarily organized, which begs the question again, are we as organized? Said differently, how is my life organized around the spiritual battle that I am a part of, or is it? That's the quiz, the quiz on ranks. So let me make this connection as clear as I possibly can. As we turn our attention back to Daniel 10 today, one of the questions I want to ask is, how has God organized his forces, inclusive of you and me, for battle? Allow me to ask it this way, kind of a fun question. Do angels have ranks? How are they organized? Today, let's allow Daniel to take us behind the curtain toward understanding spiritual warfare as highly organized. Now, where we left off last week in Daniel's narrative was at that point where Jesus comes to him in an ecstatic vision, looking a little bit like a Rambo after a battle scene. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with the character of Rambo, played, of course, by Sylvester Stallone, you're missing out on a classic piece of film history. Please Google Rambo. And better yet, if you have a streaming service that delivers movies to your queue, watch him in action. Check out Rambo. There's several of them. Uh, you'll, you'll enjoy the film. For purposes today, I want you to imagine a soldier who bursts into your tent, having just come from the battlefield. The soldier's not neat and clean and tidy. They're not wearing dress uniform. They're dirty, sweaty, bloody. They've been in combat. Observation. Have you ever noticed that most of the pictures, paintings that we have of Jesus lean culturally to his softer side? Have you ever noticed that? We get pictures of Jesus carrying a sheep over his shoulders. We get pictures of Jesus kneeling beside little children. I, I have a picture from my childhood of Jesus. It hung in my room with a huge smile on his face. He's meeting Simon and Andrew by their fishing boats. They're all great pictures. But it seems that we might be missing a side of Jesus that I believe is of critical importance. Where, where are the pictures of Rambo Jesus? Wait a minute, Luke, that's, that's going a little bit far. I, I really don't think so. It's exactly what we find in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Jesus, fresh from the battlefield, appears before Daniel. I see him dirty, sweaty, bloody, as he explains to Daniel what's going on behind the curtain that separates the natural world from the supernatural one. Jesus has been battling fallen angels, spiritual entities, that if you were to actually be able to see one, would bring you to your knees. He's been fighting them alone. That is until Michael comes to battle beside him. I want you to listen again to Jesus' words to Daniel. Uh, we read these last week. We're going to read them again today. Just kind of think uh, military, think organization. Lord, give us your guidance as we read. Daniel 10. Then he, Jesus, said to me, Daniel, do not be afraid, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But now, please listen closely to this, the prince of the kingdom of Persia has been withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. 
for I had been left there with the king of Persia. So if you were not with us last week, one of the key things that we identified has to do with the question, who is Jesus talking about when he tells Daniel that the prince of the kingdom of Persia has been withstanding him for 21 days? Here's what I find critical to understand. He's not talking about a person. He's not talking about a flesh and blood prince. Historically, this text is written in a period during which Persia and its flesh and blood rulers have overtaken Babylon and the king of Persia. Cyrus, also known as Darius, has issued a decree setting Israel free from bondage. No sense can be made out of Persia coming against Jesus or even the Israelites in captivity at this period. Now, now what Jesus is describing here is a spiritual battle that's been going on behind the curtain of the supernatural world in which he, Jesus, Rambo Jesus, is at war for the souls of man. That's the picture here. So let me take us a step forward by asking this question. Should significance be given to Jesus' use in this narrative of the term prince as he refers to fallen angel demons? If so, what does the term indicate, in particular from an organizational perspective? Can you see it? The term prince is what? It's titular. It indicates rank. It indicates there's an organization. This is what I want you to see. Put bluntly, hell is organized, and we need to be also. I'll tell you that one book that I often recommend to people in this regard is a book written by Umman Buzzard. Those are their real names. The book is titled Why Cities Matter. The book's not thick, but... The subject matter is what these authors are about in this book has to do with the incredible shift going on globally toward a population move from suburbia to cities. Today, 55% of our globe's population lives in an urban, not suburban setting. That number will increase to 68%. Think about that by the year 2050. So follow this as global population shifts, so do battlefields. This is where Um and Buzzer become prophetic voices in our world today. In their book, they've done an extraordinary job identifying the most prominent idols associated with each significant urban setting in America and many global settings. In other words, to read their book is to understand just how organized hell is. Organized enough that we are able to suggest as we read Daniel today that across the globe, Hell has organized demons in ranks to oversee countries, cities, provinces, and you can keep going until you get to individual homes and lives, as does C.S. Lewis in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters. And you know what? That just sent a shiver down my spine. Here's why. I often live my life, I don't know about you, but I do. I live my life unaware of just how organized hell is. I often live my life circumstantially. My eyes are set upon those things that are physical, this flesh and blood world around me. When I stop and think about the fact that hell is organized, organized enough to literally place demons around my city, my church, my home, I shiver. Yet that is exactly what Jesus is helping Daniel, as well as you and me, 
recognize. I don't know if you've ever tried doing this, but shortly after reading Amon Buzzard's book, Why Cities Matter, I tried something. How would you answer this question? If you had to identify some of the primary ways that you see the enemy force at work in your specific city, what would you identify? Could you identify two or three key ways the enemy is at work toward deceiving souls? In the city that I live in, uh, we're not metropolitan, but we sit on a major highway artery that brings traffic from both coasts. The city forms what is the dead center of America, having at one time, uh, this city was, been considered for the housing of the White House. Here's why, it's equidistant from east to west. Because of its location, it's not uncommon to hear about fentanyl and other drug busts or trafficking cases. As I take in the news each evening, I think it'd be easy to just blame what we see as primary issues in our region on geography. Well, look, we're in the center of the world. There's a, a major highway artery. This is what's going on. No, certainly geography plays a role. But I also know something else. Hell is organized. We fight the battles that we do in this city because it is. What's harder to comprehend is the level at which this organization becomes very personal. I shudder to think about an army organized to take down my marriage, to disrupt God's intentions for me as a father, to destroy the lives of my grandkids. Pointedly, this narrative leaves me asking the question, how do you fight back? And it's here that I hope something significant in this narrative stands out. As much as hell is organized in the battle for souls, so is heaven. Said simply, we never fight alone. In fact, if we had to, we would lose every time. The very point of Jesus' appearance to Daniel is to show him, Daniel, in this battle, I fight for you. And so does my angel army. In this narrative, Jesus refers specifically to Michael, who's joined him in battle. Michael is, of course, one of two archangels identified in the canonical scriptures. One of my favorite books on angels, by the way, is a book written by a pastor named Eugene Sawyer. The book's titled St. Michael and the Holy Angels, Their Relations with the Visible World. It's a great book. In it, Sawyer gets into what it means to know that as much as hell wants to destroy my marriage, heaven wants us to thrive together. As much as hell wants to tear me down as a father, heaven wants me to live out my calling as the best dad I can be. As much as hell wants to own my grandkids, heaven has its hand on them. Angel armies are real, present, and they fight behind the curtain every day on our behalf. Daniel, Jesus is saying, there's a war. I want you to see it. I want you to know heaven is organized to fight for you. Which leads me high level to the question, but are, are our lives organized for the battle at hand? Next week, I want to come back around this topic one last time before we move on. I do because I want to come around the question of organization from a personal perspective. I'm struck by how God has acted over time to organize our lives for battle. Yet too often, I believe we allow the world to disrupt 
and interrupt God's design for organization. As we close for today, I do want to leave you with three questions. Question one, I want you to think about this. If you could, you, you can't, but if you could, pull back the curtain that separates the physical from the, from the spiritual world, where would you see fallen angels at work in your marriage, in your family, in your personal life? I want you to think about that. Where would you see fallen angels at work in your marriage? What's he doing? In your family? What's he doing in your personal life? Question two. Where is the battle most intense? This may sound strange, but I would take intensity of warfare over still waters any day. You know why? It means the spirit is putting up a fight. It's when we stop fighting, when we normalize a spiritual posture that's distant from God or worse, dead. That's when I worry. So I hope there's some place in your life where the battle is intense because listen, the devil and his fallen army of, of demon angels never, never stops fighting against you. Question three, what does it mean to you to know that God's army joins you in battle? Many of us come out of different Christian traditions, tribes that have rich theological histories. And I believe when you go back far enough, you discover these old traditions or practices that serve to help heaven's armies where battles have become intense. In the tradition of my church body, there's two prayers that have served many well as instruments of war. You can Google them and find them. They are Martin Luther's morning prayer and Martin Luther's evening prayer. Each of them begins and closes the day with a request. God, would you not only look over me, but would you send your angel hosts of armies to watch over me this day, this night, protect me. Lord, cover those blind spots in my life. Lord, point me to where, where there are issues that need to be addressed spiritually in my life. Remind me, Lord, that my life ought to be organized towards one thing, and that is the salvation of souls. Well, that's all for this week. I want to thank you for joining me in this podcast. I want you to know I'm going to continue to pray for you. I ask for your prayers. Definitely need them. Until next week, I hope that you'll have a God-sized week.